Uh, so f- just to make sure no one's confused, my name's Wayne, not Jerry Keel. Jerry Keel will not be making any appearances, but there might be some dressing up. So if you're keen to volunteer for that, watch out for when I need a volunteer to come forward. Um, typically, I'm going to have a video too, so we'll <laughs> on the day when we seem to be challenged with videos, we'll see if we can play a second one. If not, that's fine, we'll skip it. Uh, I also have a handout for young people, so you can follow what I'm saying, or there's some activities linked to the passage that you can be doing whilst you're listening. Uh, I'll give those out whilst we're playing a video, just save a bit of time. So, are we going to be able to watch a bit of Winston? I was tempted to do the reading in a Churchill impression, but you wouldn't have understood me. I don't have the skills, I'm afraid. Uh, has anyone seen the film, Darkest Hour? Watched it recently. Um, how does it make you feel? I, kind of, I know the history, but it still is so rousing, so passionate. Um, we know the outcome, but it still feels, it's a great call to arms, stirring. Um, but what if we'd lost? Would we still listen to the speech and, and think, how could he be so foolish? How could he be so overly optimistic? Maybe we'd be a bit kind and say it was a great speech still, but clearly his confidence was misplaced. Um, I'm not going to do the passage. Uh, I'm sure the young people are pleased here. It's not going to be a history lesson. That's enough, Winston Churchill. But when I was reading the passage, it made me think of speeches like that. I think we need to read it in that kind of mindset. The passage before us, Ephesians 6, 10 24, is a call to arms, a rallying cry to instill courage in the church, a call to be resolute and never to take a step back in the face of evil and opposition. And we might wonder, is this a brilliant speech by Paul? One that roused the church to decisive and victorious action, or was his confidence misplaced? Is he being realistic, or is he asking too much of those Ephesian Christians? I think, if we're honest, very few of us feel like we're soldiers at war. Uh, Life in the UK is very comfortable. In fact, I think we live in a time and a place where life has never been as comfortable for any group of people ever. We're going to do a few quick straw polls just to show you how easy life is and how much we have compared to others. So, favourite flavour of Chris. Quickly run through. Hands up for salt and vinegar. Cheese and onion. Ready salted. Prawn cocktail. Some other one. I'm a bit partial. Monster Munch pickled onion. If anyone fancies buying me a pack. There are hundreds of flavours. Hundreds. I find that... I don't know why people, where people find the time. I found a website dedicated to listing all the brands and flavours of crisps available in the UK. There are hundreds. Uh, what about travel? Who's been to somewhere in Europe other than the UK? Who's been to South America, like our friends who are going to visit us? A few people. Who's been to Australia or New Zealand? Who's been to Asia? Uh, South Africa or somewhere different in Africa? Who Has anyone visited five different continents four okay what about some of these things so again just a quick one who's got double glazing central heating a tv larger than 30 inches i'm working on it um plenty of food in the cupboard and fridge a washing machine a microwave uh, medicines and a first aid kit in the cupboards who's got wi-fi with fast internet access the kids will tell you it's not fast but For us older ones, it is unbelievably fast. Uh, Who's got a games console with internet access? Who has got their own bedroom? Seems trivial. But we're so fortunate. We live in a wealthy country 
and a point in history where people have never been so affluent and comfortable. But I think the danger for us as Christians is all this affluence and comfort uh, actually is a bit too comfortable. And all the entertainment options we have can just distract us from the things that really matter. If we look at the culture around us, the, particularly the Western culture, it's predominantly materialistic. People think the physical is all there is, and they're very preoccupied with owning as much of that as they possibly can. And all too often, I'm afraid, as Christians, we don't see many difference. And so my call to you today, not in a Winston Churchill uh, impression, as I said, but is to call you to engage with the spiritual battle, to try and rouse you uh, to stand, pull on the armour and fight. Each of us individually needs to be engaged. Uh, Churchill did a great speech. You might think I do a great talk, you might not. Uh, but regardless, it's pointless if people don't respond. Churchill's speech, if people had say we don't want to go to war, it would have made no difference. It requires individuals to respond, to take that stand. So, brothers and sisters, there is a war raging around us. Two sides in the spiritual battle. And I can tell you, our enemies do not opt out and they never take a step back. And so we have to have that same mindset. If you're a Christian, uh, you are part of God's army. God doesn't pull out an appeal for volunteers like the poster would suggest. Once you become a Christian, you are conscripted. You're in forcibly. You get no choice. So my question for you really is, not will you be part of God's army, but will you be an unsuspecting casualty who has no impact in the battle? Or will you take your stand and play your part in the spiritual battle? Uh, I'm going to go through the passage. We'll see there's a call, there's an enemy, there are weapons, and there's an army. I'm going to kind of touch on those. There's so much in this passage. could do a whole series, and people have, and there are books just on this passage. Um, I'm not going to apologise. I hope you're frustrated by the lack of depth, because that will hopefully make you go away and read it, and think about it some more, and maybe read some of the books that are available. I'm just going to do a kind of an overview of the passage it's there, but touching on those four things. There is a call, a call from God. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious. Four times he said, stand or be strong. So a call to stand. And for me, that, like I said, it brought to mind the image of soldiers taking their place in their ranks, facing the enemy, eye to eye, and resolving they will never take a single step backwards. Uh, and in the passage, just like Churchill did, Paul is issuing that call. I think there are a few things to notice. It's not just for some Christians, it's to all the Christians who received a letter and beyond. It's not a request for volunteers. Paul gives direct instructions that should be followed. It's not conditional. It doesn't say, just be ready in case some spiritual battle kind of comes your way so you can join in. It's an ever-present reality and he's telling them they need to be engaged all the time. I'm going to show them. Alexander, who's your favourite teacher? Um, okay. At school? Mrs. Mr. Johnson, good, that's an easy name for me to say. Mr. Johnson, can you imagine if Mr. Johnson came into school and said, I've got some really exciting things, children, for you to all to learn today? Actually, it's not for all of you to learn. I'm just going to take the super group over here in the corner. The rest of you can do whatever you want. Just mess around, play some games, go to sleep. 
or Mr. Johnson came in and said, got some great learning, really exciting, I'm sure you'd love it. So if you'd like to come and join in, put your hand up, and those of you who want to do it, we'll go over here and do it, and the rest of you, do as you please. Or even, uh, I'm sure no teacher's ever done this. Here's the work for you to do, it's really exciting, but actually unless I come near you, you don't need to do it. And just a favour, if another teacher comes in, or even worse, the head teacher, can you at least look as if you're busy? It's ridiculous, isn't it? Teachers don't do that. Hopefully not. Uh, good teachers definitely don't do that. They know if they're in school, they're in charge of a class, and the learning is meant to be for all the children. And all the people should be engaged and taking part. And that's the same for us in the spiritual battle. It's not just for a super group of Christians. It's not just for those who volunteer. It's not just for us to take part if it comes our way. It's an ever-present reality that we should all be engaged in and we have to remember the context Paul isn't issuing this calling God isn't issuing this call without some good justification and we have to think back to what we've also heard already from uh, the letter to the Ephesian church we have every spiritual blessing from God we're redeemed by the blood of Jesus we've been chosen by God we've been made alive We've been reconciled and a part of a new humanity, the church. And as part of that body, we're called to a new life. And we have a message to declare to the world. So, brothers and sisters, when we respond to this call, we need to remember all that Jesus has done for us. And being certain of the truth of the gospel, we can then rise up and take our stand. But we do have an enemy who are we standing against? Why does Paul tell him to stand and be strong? Our enemy. We have enemies determined to attack us and bring us down. Satan, the forces of evil, and the powers of this dark world. We know the world and Satan hate Jesus. And so they hate his people. That's what Jesus warned his followers about. He warned us that would be the case. And if you look around the world today, Christians are the most persecuted group around the world. Christians have been persecuted, imprisoned and killed for their faith throughout history and in all different parts of the world by different types of regimes. And stories like this one, Asia Bibi, recently, just highlight that. But it's going on all the time, all around the world. Christians being persecuted for their faith. Two sides in a battle with no spectators. So you're all involved, one side or the other. Every last person is part of the spiritual war, even if they don't realise it. So although I think this message is, is for us as Christians, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I would urge you seriously to consider the spiritual realm, the life and claims of Jesus, and then decide which side you are going to be on. This is serious business. And those of us who are Christians, when we became Christians, we became spiritually alive. If we're spiritually alive, we must be aware of the spiritual realm. Therefore, we must be aware there's a spiritual battle. And throughout the Bible, throughout history, it's clear. God's people will come under attack from Satan and the world. Kind of, I think most of us live like God has said something different. Most of us, I think, live like you might face opposition, but hopefully you'll get away with a life where you don't have to and you can be quite comfortable. But that isn't what he said. Throughout, throughout the Bible, all, all the way through, there are warnings about opposition, persecution and suffering from right from the beginning. Genesis 3, God warns of suffering. 
and then that continues all the way through into the New Testament, right through to Revelation. So if we know there's a spiritual realm, and at least intellectually we know there's a spiritual battle, we know opposition is going to come, why do we opt out? Why are we not more engaged? Why do we let our enemies get the better of us? I think there are a few reasons. One is, again, comfort. If we make a stand, we know life can be uncomfortable. We know life can be uncomfortable. So we choose to hold on to comfort. Or maybe it's a fear of man. Sometimes the people around us can seem more powerful and bigger than we see God. And so we give in. Or maybe we have idols, things that replace God as number one in our hearts and we don't want to let go of them. And we know if we stand for God, we might have to let them go. Or maybe a love of self. Um, I think most of us don't like the idea that we have enemies. We don't like the idea of people attacking us. Actually, we prefer if people just acknowledged how wonderful we are most of the time. Because we love ourselves. And we want other people to love us, not be our enemies. There are many excuses why we stay out, why we opt out to the spiritual battle. But hopefully, if we remind ourselves what's at stake, we will be prepared to take that stand. The battle is for the eternal souls of men and women and boys and girls around us. We're fighting for the eternal destinies of the people we know and love and beyond. So here we are, meeting together as Kenilworth Community Church, still in the early days. A new church here in Kenilworth, with a desire to reach our town with the gospel. We haven't yet... But we will face battles. They will come. We'll come under attack from outside and unless God is willing to protect us from it, from attack within. Are we ready? Are we ready to stand strong? Are we ready to say we will never surrender? Are we ready to do whatever it takes to strive and fight for every soul of every person in Kenilworth? No matter what the cost. Uh, it's a big call it's a big ask I know but in the, thankfully in the songs that were chosen it reminds us that we're actually fighting a defeated enemy we're not like those people who heard Churchill's speech for the first time looking at that German army already spreading throughout Europe with all their tanks and everything else looking invincible and wondering how on earth they were going to win that war we already know the battle is won So when Paul called the Ephesian church and God calls us to stand and face the enemy, God does so knowing that the outcome is already secure. So it's more like me watching the movie of Churchill than people listening to Churchill the first time. I watched it knowing the outcome. The decisive victory has already been won by Jesus. Just a few passages, Colossians 2, Romans 16, Revelation 20, tell us clearly Jesus has won the victory. So if we, want, if we go into the battle, we know it's already won. The victory is secure. We fight a defeated enemy on the retreat. Again, if you're not a Christian, you're here. Um, Jesus made it clear, ultimately, you're on the losing side. But he offers you the chance to switch sides before it's too late. Uh, this is where I need a volunteer to help with some dressing up. It would be really helpful if somebody could come forward. I knew I'd have at least one or two enthusiastic volunteers. You can share it if you want to. Do you want to come, on, come on. So do you need to put, one of you needs to put this on and a belt. 
helmet, a sword and a shield. You can fight amongst yourselves who's going to have which bits using the sword and shield maybe. So God doesn't just call us, doesn't just tell us to go and fight this enemy. He gives us the weapons we need to be effective. Um, as I said, there's loads here, so I'm just going to touch on them very quickly. So there's a belt involved. Have we got to the belt yet? No, not yet. A belt of truth. So if we're going to fight in this battle, we need to be people of truth, people with integrity. Uh, and I think this is talking about how we live our lives. Do we practice what we preach? Are you always honest in the small things, things like your expenses, claims at work, things like your homework and your tests and exams? Are you always 100% honest in those small things? If we wear the belt of truth, it means being absolutely honest in even the small things, even when no one is watching and regardless of the cost. The standard God has set for us is to um, love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength and mind. The alternative to that is to live a dual life where we're kind of Christians on Sundays, maybe at the prayer meeting, home group, and then the rest of the week we live like everyone else. We're not people of truth. But if you live a dual life, you live with a divided heart because you try and have what God offers but also have what the world offers and ultimately that will pull you in different directions and pull your life apart. So pull on the belt, be people of integrity. How are we doing? Do you want to go forward a bit so people can see in all its glory? Is the hat a bit big? Helmet a bit big? And we have a breastplate. That one's not quite as strong as it would have been for the soldiers. Uh, breastplate of righteousness. The righteousness we have from Jesus protects us, I think particularly our hearts. Because it defends us against accusations of things that would hurt us. Satan will try to accuse God's people. He'll remind you of your sin and the times when you haven't done the things God would want you to do. Sometimes we accuse ourselves. We bring to, those things come to mind and we remind ourselves and we know how weak and sinful we are and we begin to doubt our salvation and doubt if we can ever do anything for God. Other people can accuse us, both fairly and unfairly. And even sometimes our circumstances accuse us. We kind of... If, if things are going badly, we think we must be doing something wrong, we've upset God, and we kind of let those things attack us. And it, we, guilt comes in, and we become fearful about whether or not we're saved. We wonder, am I good enough for God? But if we wear that breastplate of righteousness, we remind ourselves that our righteousness comes from Jesus. 